Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to two-time Academy Award winner Bruce Nicholson, who won for his groundbreaking work on The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. This episode is a crash course in all of that, including what it was like working alongside the Dykstra Flex, mistakes in the end scene of Raiders, and the time he was the first person to suit up in the finished Boba Fett costume. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 79, Bruce Nicholson. Well, I mean, even before Star Wars, I would love to just first talk about your early inspirations and what made you even want to jump into the visual effects line of work. Well, I guess the thing that inspired me the most was uh, when I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, and that film just blew me away, and I was maybe, oh, 19 or something like that when it came out, and I wanted to know how the work was done, and that was probably sort of the main inspiration, and then uh, I ended up pursuing visual effects, um, and that was, I was interested in film at that point, but um, it sort of focused me on visual effects. That's interesting, only because then your first major film role is on the original Star Wars movie. I'd love to talk a little bit about your journey to first working with, you know, Dykstra and Edlund and all those guys. Mm-hmm. What were you doing before that, and how did you get connected with them? Well, um, I was, you know, I, st- I started out, uh, really my first job was in a film lab in L.A., and uh, this was Consolidated Film Industries was the name of the place. And um, they had an optical department there, um, and I would, I learned something about optical effects uh, through that. And then there was a couple people that I met that were involved with optical effects, and I would just go and hang out with them and learn what I could. Because at that time, there was really, it was very hard to get training for something like that, you know. Uh, and the business was really small at that time. At any rate, you know, I struggled for a while. After the lab, I worked at a place on an animation camera, a down shooter, as we call it. And I did that for, I don't know, I was doing a swing shift, I think, there. Uh, I did that for a while. And then I was interested in getting into optical, working at an optical house at that time. I managed to get an opportunity at Ray Mercer and Company, which was a small optical house, an older place. It was one of the original optical houses really in the film business goes back to about 1930, I think. Mm -hmm. I managed to get a a job there and work there for about a year. And that gave me sort of all the basic training and skills that helped me advance. And they got slow and had to lay me off, which I thought was unfortunate, but it ended up it was fortunate because that was right when ILM was starting on a big push to finish the effects for, uh, you know, the original Star Wars. And um, I ended up calling around to, you know, looking for work. And at one of the places they said, I think they need somebody at this phone number. (laughs) And he didn't tell me what it was or anything. So I just called and uh, they put me through to who was head of the optical department at that time, Rob Blalack. Right. Um, he was looking for uh, somebody, and so that's how I landed the job. So I went in for an interview, and he liked me, and then I interviewed with Dykstra, and he liked me, and that, that was it. That's that's so great. I mean, and that first Star Wars movie, of course, with the Dykstra Flex, 
really I'm sure was was on that cutting edge of of what you know the optical cameras would even be close to doing I'd be curious because then from there you also of course worked on Battlestar and Close Encounters before Empire I'd love to mm-hmm. hear a little bit about your experience first kind of learning that method and if there was anything like what you're doing before Star Wars and then kind of then translating it to, to Empire and beyond well I had done basic you know I worked at the the optical house that I worked at Ray Mercer we did uh, mainly um, a lot of trailers, some commercials, um, an occasional B, effects for an occasional B or C mm-hmm. film, movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but it was mostly, um, you know, basic kind of stuff, some complicated stuff. And I think I had done one blue screen shot when I was at Ray Mercer. And, of course, at ILM on Star Wars, everything was blue screen. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was all of the, as you know, all the miniatures were shot against blue screen and we had live action that was shot against blue screen that would become effect shots. And so I had, you know, just um, a minimal experience with that. And so the pipeline, the system that they had in place, which uh, Rob Blalack had set up, I think, were, you know, it worked. We had two optical printers at that time and they had been sort of gone over and fixed up. They were older printers at that time. They had just two printers and um, they had solid state electronics to drive them, which was, you know, and microprocessors were just starting to become available at that time. So that was sort of a technical advance. And then, of course, the motion control was, I'd never, I'd heard about motion control, but I'd never seen it before. And so that was definitely a big breakthrough because the kind of flying maneuvers that they could create, I'm sure some of the other people have said, was, you know, there had really never been anything like it. Even 2001, you know, the ships flying were, you know, slow and um, they weren't real maneuverable. And Star Wars had a whole different approach to that. Because then you move to Empire, especially, and Empire always sticks out to me, and I'm sure... I'm sure you ran into the problem where, especially that first 20, 30 minutes on the ice planet, you're dealing then with white and white and white and white. I'd be very curious to hear about the compositing for that and kind of the challenges you faced on what ended up being an Academy Award winning work. Yeah. Well, it was really a daunting challenge. And so we had to come up with new and better techniques for doing it. And so there were a couple things. One was... We did all of our, you know, when you do blue screen optical for blue screen, you have, you know, an intermediate step where you go from the negative to like master positive elements and traveling mats and stuff like that. And most of that for the blue screen, everything was a black and white, was done on black and white film. So you had red, green and blue separations for the color part of it. And then you had high contrast mats for the traveling mat part of it. Right. And so we, for for the movie, we we did in-house processing where we didn't have that, did not have that on Star Wars and on Empire. By having the in-house processing, it allowed us to try more things and you know it was a much quicker turnaround and everything. And so that was a big advantage to have that. And then um, Kodak at that time suggested that we try a medium high contrast film that they thought would be better for traveling mat work, which we ended up doing. And being that, you know, we shot in the VistaVision format, all of our films had to be on S-Star Base 
filmed because there was there was no shrinkage and with VistaVision shrinkage does become an issue especially when you're doing you know blue screen work and stuff like that right. and so that film helped a lot that was a good contribution and then the other thing was I came up with an approach where um, a lot of the shots were looking like the ships were not integrated well into the snowscape which was done in Norway. And so what I ended up doing was I had some Norway background that was just sort of a hazy white. And what I did is um, I used that to put a flash exposure or a double exposure of the Norway background onto the ships. Um, And I did that at about maybe 15% of the overall exposure. And what that did is it really helped integrate them into the environment. And that was another breakthrough that I'm proud that I was able to contribute. And so um, I discovered that we were struggling with the shots and they just weren't looking right. And then I tried that and showed that in dailies one day. And uh, George Lucas was there and, you know, he went, that looks great. How did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And I I wouldn't really, I didn't want to tell him exactly. I said, well, we used a Norway filter on the ships and, that was as far as I went, and uh, that we ended up using that technique for the rest of the sequence. You know, even today, in digital compositing, that, that technique is used for integration purposes. It's just you do it digitally instead of with film, but it's the, it, it's the same principle. The Empire work, of course, won the Special Achievement Oscar for just the game-changing, kind of groundbreaking effects that were put into it. I would love to switch gears just slightly, because mm-hmm. there is a, a secondary element of your Empire involvement that was small, but it has kind of turned into a life of its own, which are the pictures of you in the Boba Fett costume. Oh, yeah. Johnston. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's just so funny. But I'd love, I mean, like, I, I'm sure it was just a day, but I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about that experience of putting on that helmet and kind of becoming Boba Fett for, for a day. Well, I think Joe designed the costume. And so he needed somebody to model it when they did the prototype. And so he asked me to do it. I mean, I guess I had the right proportion or whatever. I don't know. And mm-hmm. so I said, sure. And um, so I did. I put the put it on and, you know, and they did a bunch of stills to, I guess, to show George is sort of, you know, what it would actually photograph like. And I don't know how, but people got a hold of it, you know, 30 years <laughs> later. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just you never know. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's just the funniest thing, because it's like, not only did you do some in- incredible, incredible effects work, but then people were like, oh, look at this picture of you in a Boba Fett costume. <laughs> yeah. can, you, can you sign this, please? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Moving on to Raiders, yeah. your other Academy Award winning work, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the the challenges there, you know, working in a little bit more of a grounded environment, but having to bring kind of the supernatural and really make it a very high, right. high-paced, rollicking adventure. Is there anything that sticks out to you during the production of that or any challenges that you kind of faced, especially in the compositing side of things? Yes. Well, of course, we had the Wrath of God sequence at the end with all the ghosts and everything, and that was that was a big that was a big challenge. There were various other shots in the film, some blue screen shots, some matte painting shots that was important that they look right and, you know, you know, cut well and into the film. But I think the ghost sequence was the trickiest and they went, you know, they, they tried different approaches to creating those ghosts where they originally tried, um, you know, drawn animation and that was rejected and then they tried shooting some, uh, I think it was 
uh, motion control kind of stuff. And that was rejected. And then finally, I think, you know, Steve Golly, who was one of the model makers, talked to Richard about maybe trying something in a, in a tank. You know, we had a cloud tank, a big water tank. And so um, they, did, they did some tests of that, and that worked great. And they shot it, they overcranked it, so they shot it high speed, anywhere from 36 to, uh, I don't know, maybe 60 frames per second or something. And so they ended up using that technique. And, of course, you couldn't shoot that stuff against blue screen. It was in water. They shot it against black. And the silk was, you know, white. So you would do contrast mats of it to put it in and to put it into the live action. But they wanted the ghost to be sort of semi-transparent, not completely opaque. And so it was a delicate thing to do. The, and the other problem was time, because when they came up with the technique, we really didn't have that much time left uh, to finish the show. I mean, I think we had maybe a couple of months at the most to finish the show. So we really had to try and crank out the shots. And they, some of them were really complicated. If you remember, you know, where there was like 50 ghosts flying around sort of at the climax of the sequence. And so it became, you know, complicated and difficult to control. So again, you know, it was making these contrast mats, it would be like today, if you digitally would be like doing a Lumi key digitally. Um, we just did it on film. Uh, we got the show done and Spielberg seemed to be happy with it. Uh, one of the things that happened, I might mention, is that when the show was, when they were color timing the, the release print, something happened in that end sequence where I don't know what it was, but the ghosts, the, there were some color mismatches from cut to cut in the release print that, that bothered me because we really didn't have that in our dailies that we did. And so I'm not quite sure what happened. And I talked to Richard Edlin about it. You know, this was like maybe three or four years ago to see if we could fix it. And we, we, we looked into it. So far, it hasn't happened, but I'm hoping that they'll still be able to do that because it, it still bothers me. Oh, that's so interesting. I would never even caught that because that sequence is incredible. But now I'll have to go back and look and, and see. if. Yeah, I can... you'll see there's color mismatches. And I actually did some tests. I, I got a um, I did some tests. I got a, a DVD and ripped it and just did a test of a few shots. And it's it's not that it can be done. It's not that you don't have to recomposite the shots or anything. Um, and so we were hoping that we could do it in a DI suite or something like that. So it wouldn't be such a big deal. They said to us, well, we'll consider doing that when we re-release the film. And I guess the the 40-year anniversary of the film is next year. Is that right? That, yeah, that has to be right. Yeah. So maybe they'll do it for that. I hope yeah. so. That would be great. I would love to see <laughs> I know. <that. laughs> I, I, I hope they do it because, yeah. it would, you know, I'd feel better. Yeah. And I know Rich. I know Richard would too. <laughs> that would be great, actually. Uh, of all the tinkering, I think that one would be the most effective and the, and the most necessary. That's great. Yeah. You touched on it a little bit. And actually, I live in Texas, and I flew out to California for that Academy panel last oh, year, yeah. the Galactic uh -huh. Innovations. And you gave uh -huh. a, a fantastic talk oh, about kind of the differences of of the compositing back in you know the 70s and 80s compared mm -hmm. to the digital compositing now and i'd love to touch on that a little bit sure and your experiences because they extend way beyond these incredible films in the 80s but then you're working on things like you know matrix reloaded and iron man 3 and i'd love to talk a little bit about how your experience has changed over these years and the the leaps 
that compositing has taken as well. Yeah, major leaps for sure. I mean, I think digital compositing is great. And, uh, and um, really, you know, some of the problems and issues that I had in the traditional era, you know, were solved in the digital era. And of course, you know, doing the stuff on a computer and being able to see your work on a monitor, just that is a big advantage because with film, you'd, you'd have to wait until the next day to see, you know, what the compo- if the composite was good or not. So it was a much, you know, more time-consuming process. And, you know, and we didn't have, uh, we had control, but not as much as control as you do digitally. I would say that, you know, one of the things that happened was that, you know, the the Pixar group was originally part of ILM. So when they first came on board uh, and they were starting to write software and they would talk to us about the processes that we were using in optical and they started to write code to simulate that. And some of the first compositing programs or not programs, but software, you know, came out of uh, that. And I could see, you know, after they had, you know, made some headway, I could see that, you know, that was obviously the direction it was going, it was going to be. It was just a question, how long would it take? And of course, the other thing that happened was that, you know, miniature photography got taken over by computer generated imagery. So the spaceships, which were miniatures on the original trilogy became, you know, computer generated images. So there, and of course you, you automatically get a mat or an alpha channel when you do that. And so that changed the sort of the way we approach the work where, you know, in the traditional era, you know, compositing was sort of the the last step in the process and it was key. Nobody knew what, it, what everything was going to look like until they saw the composite. Whereas, you know, when you do digital work now, you see composite because They'll do like slap comps, you know, a lighter will do a slap comp so that the effect supervisor can see the composite, even though it's not done along the way. So it's, it's sort of less of a guessing game in that regard. There's just so much more control with software and, you know, in every respect, controlling the mats, you know, uh, adjusting the color, various integration things that you can do. It's just, it's just a huge advantage. And of course, you know, you in the optical was, you know, you went through a duplicating process, which, and the image would degrade some. So we use VistaVision to help us with that. And it did really help a lot. But of course, with digital, you don't, there's no duplication. And so um, that's, that's a huge advantage. You don't have to fight that degradation. The only degradation that you would get with digital is if you're not careful and you, if something is underexposed and you brighten it up, you might see noise, uh, for example, or if you over color correct something, you know, you might see some peculiarities in the color balance. But for the most part, I think it's way more controllable. And there's so much latitude now where you have 32-bit floating point. It's hard to lose data. So, I mean, it's, it's really great. Yeah, and I mean, really, none of that would be possible without the work that you and the rest of that incredible team did all those years ago. And so for that and for this interview, thank you so much for coming on and telling all these incredible stories. But uh, I really appreciate this. Okay, well, you're welcome.
It was such an honor to talk to Mr. Nicholson, and I really appreciate him coming on the show. If you have Mandalorian fever and want to hear what it was like to suit up as Boba Fett, head back to my interviews with Dwayne Dunham, Dickie Beer, and the late, great Alan Harris. Next week is full of a few special surprises that we've hinted at on Twitter, but definitely listen to Tuesday's episode of Our Friends at Blast Points to hear some real Ewok movie month magic. And stay tuned right here for even more. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Leave that five-star review. May the Force be with you.